Welcome to Unboard, unplugged, unscripted board leadership. A conversation between boardroom leaders that covers leadership, priorities, and influence. Now, here's Brian Hayward. Joining me today is Paul Smith, who uh, is in Perth, Australia. Paul is involved with an organization uh, called Future Directors that he founded. Paul, um, tell me, uh, uh, what do you do? Oh, what do you do? Uh, well, so do you want, if you want the sort of elevator story, I try and tell it in three phases. I'm in my, I'm in my third phase of my life. That's what I like to call, talk, call it. Um, the first phase was just that schooling phase up to sort of 20 something. Um, although everything's a schooling phase, but sort of the formal education phase. Um, I grew up in the UK, uh, predominantly in London. Um, and, uh, my next decade up until 30 was, I was doing what everybody else was doing. Got a job in the city, worked for a finance company, blah, blah, blah. Got bored very quickly, worked with some really interesting people, but didn't really know what I was doing. Um, I was good at it, but I didn't really like it. Then, um, because I wasn't really liking who I was as a person as well, you know, as a nice guy, but I didn't really like my life. I decided to do what a lot of people do and move country. But instead of just moving a small distance, I do a lot of people, I moved to the other side of the world and moved to Australia. And that was 15 years ago. And the, the 10 years up until uh, I was 40, which is five years ago, was me discovering who I was. Um, what my purpose on this planet was in terms of what work I would do, what sort of human being I would be, who I'd be looking to help. And I went through a lot of different work and personal development um, to get to that point. Um, and a lot of great people have helped me on the long way. And pretty much around that time at my 40th birthday, I entered my next phase. Uh, and I'm halfway through my, my next phase and that's around future directors. Um, and that is what we are doing is trying to change the face of the boardroom. We are trying to present opportunities and support people who traditionally have never felt they belong in the boardroom um, because they represent something different. And that can be measured in so many different ways. So, so yeah. yeah, and and that's kind of you know what what caught me and what what intrigued me is that we are I think in a very interesting phase transitioning from classical governance where there's a pale male and stale uh, in the boardroom and moving into to diversity. But the, I, when I saw future directors, I actually sort of in inferred that it was was uh younger people that but then when i dug into it a bit you know it was it it was in in the material on on future director website it's it's not about age it's not about diversity it's and and so there's a part of this that and i was kind of going like so what, what is, is it, it? <laughs> yeah and then because i i actually you know um printed it off and it's like it's a focus on misunderrepresented groups who are stewarding change from inside. And I was, I went, he's confusing me. <laughs> so can you help the confusion? Yeah. So I think the best thing to think about is the word future. Um, as a, as a, as a business, we are a community and learning platform. Okay. So that's what we do. Um, so we put out content and we have memberships and we have programs and events and, you know, the usual stuff. <clears throat> 
the destination, future director is a destination. So we um, have coined a model called board intelligence or BQ. Um, and what becoming a future director is all about is having high BQ in the same way as being emotionally intelligent is high EQ. So high board intelligence means you are knowledgeable, you're capable, you've got the right mindset and you are representative of the way a board should look to, in order for it to be fit for purpose and representing the communities that it also represents, whether it's a big corporate, because communities can be anything. So when we talk about um, miss and underrepresented people, and we talk about diversity, and we talk about inclusion, we're talking about, yes, the people who aren't the pale male stale. Now, that doesn't mean the pale male person isn't part of our community. We have plenty. I am one myself. I'm a 45-year-old white guy who has no hair. Um, I am I, I, I'm soon I'm just becoming... staler than you. My best before days. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's really the, it's the stale bit that we don't want. The yeah. stale bit of stuck in their ways, um, not changing, not innovating, not accepting things that are changing, trying to do everything the way it's always been done before. We don't mind pale. We don't mind male at all. We can't when the founder is one. And obviously I'm 45, so I'm still technically very bored young. Um, so it's really, we did start out thinking, we did start out with a next generation lens. We did start out saying we needed younger people in the boardroom and that's still very much our focus. Um, and that's just because of the sort of the way we deliver things, what we deliver appeals to the people coming into the boardroom and the ones who have been there at early stages, it doesn't appeal as much to the ones who have been for, around for a long time because it's seen as challenging and threatening. However, we do have people in our community who have been in the boardroom for 30, 40 years and they love what we're doing because they've been a champion at for a long time as well. Yeah. And so, um, it's not so much younger. I, I, I actually find that, that when, when I, again, when I've sort of caught on to future directors, I was, I, my own view of things is that the younger people, people that were your age and my age when we first went in the boardroom, cause you were in your thirties, right? Mm, yeah. And, and that, that voice is less and less heard and they have a uh, you know that i they it's it, I apologize for generalizing but there's a different view of life balance life work and as we come out of covid and the sort of um, i'm sure even in australia the the great resignation is probably uh topical there's there's this sort of mentality that the way things were done isn't the way mm. things should be done and, and, and I, I think there's a lot to what you, that you're doing that still resonates with me. Um, but part of it that I was, again, puzzled about was because you're training and uh, in a challenging way of going like, this sounds almost like one of the, like NACD or any of the, you know, GNDI universes where you're, you're actually teaching people how to conform. Is that part how do you differentiate no, yeah, what you, no, how do we, you differentiate what what you're providing yeah. in terms of a pathway as you called it that's different from the classic university's quasi driven uh <laughs> training program which to me in, in some regards is is sausage factory yeah so we um that's a really good 
good question. And it's the first time I've ever been asked that question because no one's ever asked me, you're just, aren't you just the same as all the other ones? Those are the groups we're trying to challenge. And I think it's because um, for me, those groups have never been uh, inclusive or accessible. Um, the topic matter they go through is relatively myopic um, and often out of date because it's addressing a group of people that doesn't represent where the world is going and where the world is at. And that's what we're doing. But we're also, the way we deliver things is it's trying to be accessible, um, uh, relevant and timely. Our audience is time poor. They're not all wealthy or sponsored people who can afford, you know, $10,000 programs, which give them some letters after their name, but don't really, and tell them what, goes on the boardroom but doesn't don't really do much more than that it doesn't really prepare them for life in the boardroom one thing you'll find around the world with all of the institutes and different director places there's there is a a wealth of people helping people get into the boardroom recruiters institutes coaches but once you're in there it's almost like you're left up to your own devices because you're supposed to have all the skills you need to actually perform inside the boardroom and yet there's a wealth of consultants out there that support boards in trouble so our we our gap that we and both in, you and i do that just for full yeah of closure. course yeah. by the way we you know th that's there's some good there is a business for, made for trying to trying to help help boards that uh, are underperforming at, at whatever level or trying to you know refresh who's in the room because they understand that it's all about people so what we're trying to do is take people on a journey, not just into the boardroom, but through their board career, um, whereby they can learn the things they really need to learn in a timely manner, relevant, share a journey with a group of people that, and I don't like the phrase like-minded because that's half the problem in the boardroom, values aligned, so that it's all about um, you know, learning and being open and integrity and all those sort of you know, great values and actually wanting to change things. The way we describe ourselves is we're a movement. We're a movement for people who want boards to do better and they're doing it. They're the ones who are the change makers. So they're the ones on the inside. So we believe our theory of change is if we can have two future directors in the room who are innovative thinkers, they are learners, they have this high BQ, then that's where change is going to come from. And that's only going to be better for not only a business or an organization and its performance from a commercial perspective, but all the people they serve. And, and one, of the, one of the words that you use, which I actually still don't know if I fully can internalize it myself uh, after having been in 500 plus board meetings is, is vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And and does that does that mean you know I should you know cry every once in a while or or share some deep dark secret? Uh, um, it, it and it it's very difficult when because I think a lot of of coaching and training and whatnot for board members uh, uses some lofty language and vulnerability is one of them. Mm. And 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 so what does vulnerability mean to you? Well, vulnerability doesn't mean, um, yeah, crying at a drop of a hat at all. It's actually about an openness to say, I don't know. Yeah. And if you think about the boardroom and you think about the pressure that comes from inside and outside the boardroom and how they've been typically put together, 
there's a trust that's been put in the boardroom. You know, they were called boards of trustees when they originally started. You're there entrusted to look after other people's money now more than that, um, but still mostly about money. Um, and you're trusted because you're knowledgeable. You're supposed to know what you're doing. And I think as the board world has exploded and the world has rapidly changed and everything's constantly in a state of flux and we live in this VUCA world of volatility and uncertainty and so on and so forth, um, we need boards who are willing and self-aware enough to actually say, you know what, we don't have all the answers, but we do have the capability to steward this business where it needs to go. And I think that's tough for boards to be vulnerable and actually at a collective level and an individual level, because there's so much politics, there's so much um, humanness in the whole thing of like, I can't be vulnerable in some sense, it's not strong. We have to be strong. We have to put a, a face forward. Um, but you're seeing great leaders around the world, you know, not inside the boardroom because they're not that transparent yet, sort of showing vulnerability and saying, I can't do this alone. We can't do this alone. We need support. We need help. We need other information. No board has a, it can ever be a complete group that knows everything, and yet they are expected to do that. Yeah, I, you just said something that actually I find intriguing because you said transparency, and it hasn't yet arrived at the boardroom. But um, so many times when there's a hostile takeover, or there's this or that, and I, I referenced it in my book where the Boeing board unanimously went from, you know, black to white or white to black, whichever direction you want to choose saying, you know, we, we don't believe that our CEO uh, should, shouldn't be the chair to being, well, the guy's fired. <laughs> and, but unanimity is, is what boards portray. Hmm. Um, I kind of wonder whether, you know, future directors of future boards might want to say, you know, we actually had a good uh, discussion about that. And, and there was a division of, of views on that. Ultimately, this is what the, what the organization believes. But, you know, uh, we have some thoughts and doubts. Is unanimity something that it's classic uh, board stuff to, it's, it's almost like, you know, we, we have a hostile takeover and then there's righteous indignation follows. <laughs> <laughs> so, mm. And it's, it's so predictable. That, that it's always unanimous. I, I just wonder about some of these protocols. Well, again, I think we've also got to have some compassion for what happens inside the boardroom in terms of um, a company like Boeing, a lot of media glare on them and one misstep. Uh, and, you know, it's like anything else. There's this tremendous pressure around the, the information flow, the news flow, things being taken out of context, things being twisted to suit a narrative. And it doesn't matter how honest and honest you are with anything, with your communications and tell exactly what it was. You know, this is the process we went through. We went, we, we sought out information. We really had some deep discussions. We did exactly what we were supposed to do. And we came to a consensus decision that not everybody agreed with, but we bought into, and this is the position we're putting forward. You know, that is almost too nuanced for the world these days. And it's a, I don't know what the solution is, but I believe that we, should be trying to move towards this sort of authentic, vulnerable, transparent space. And if it takes a while for society to catch up, boards are, are, are lead another 
group of leaders, we look to our leaders to set the tone, whether it's political leaders, business leaders, community leaders, and boards are part of that. They are stewards of the future. Um, there are they're the you know institutional nerve centers, call you what you want. They also need to display the sort of traits that people can follow. Because human beings, we like fo- we for all the love of freedom and that sort of stuff. If we like to follow, we follow people, we follow authors, we follow celebrities, we follow films, you know, all blah blah blah. Yeah. You know, we just we like following people and we follow companies. Uh, I follow, follow future directors now on LinkedIn. Yeah, you know, so. <laughs> um, people follow me. Uh, rightly or wrongly that's their choice and thank you for it um and so you you are you are shaping things it's it's unavoidable the 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 future director website um which i would encourage people to go and visit um it's easy to find on google it you you have a nice video there which i think is 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 extraordinarily well done but um I'm, i'm gonna uh try to, to see how, how transparent you'll be because you, you, you actually disclose that you were on a board at the age of 30 and then you were chair nine months later. Yeah. Is there some seminal event and can you, to the best of your ability, people love hearing stories about how, how it really is in the boardroom and, and what, what happened? How do you get to go on a board at the age of 30 and then you're chairing it at nine months later? Uh, so <laughs> it was a wonderful organization that was not fulfilling its potential for lots of different reasons. And whilst it wasn't my first foray into the boardroom, it was my, as my, it was my first director role, but I had exposure to the boardroom prior to that. Um, and I didn't know what that meant at the time. So I went into, I saw my, you know, I met everybody and they're all, you know, a blend of really passionate people, really smart business people, but it's pretty obvious early on, there's a complete lack of leadership, a complete lack of strategy. As I said, nothing wrong with the people. They're all lovely. They all in their own right are great at what they do, but it wasn't coming together in a space whereby of what I had learned because I've sort of self-taught um, about governance, they weren't governing. They weren't doing what they were. They were doing some of it, you know. They were ticking boxes and all that sort of side of things, and were helping out with a little bit of strategic stuff here. But there was no real clear direction. If you think about the word board director, there was no clear direction. And so, um, being the person I am, I sort of asked some questions, <laughs> um, asked the right questions to a point whereby they realized they suddenly had someone in the room who could take them where they needed to go. And I think they all knew this, but none of them were the type of person who were actually going to change something. They're all change makers in their own rights, but not at this type of thing. So then they said, well, can you take over uh, from a chair position? I went, sure. And then I took upon myself to have a process of going through and basically refreshing the board is the nicest way of saying it, um, to make sure it was fit for purpose. And that took another year or so. But that doesn't just happen calmly where this, Oh, good question, Paul. Um, why don't you take over? <laughs> Move well, in yeah, it was so no, no, must no. Have been I'm an obviously, interesting I'm obviously, okay. You want me to go deeper? Okay. Um, so well, you know, I, I questioned, you. I questioned 
you know, I started sort of questioning some structural stuff, some process stuff, the information flow from our CEO. Um, we started holding our CEO to account, which she didn't like. And so she threatened to leave. Um, when we did, uh, when we, she did leave, she, st- she actually sued the board for bullying and me specifically, but it wasn't bullying. It was accountability. Um, so Again, I think what was happening was I was showing leadership in that boardroom that wasn't there um, and the sort of the drive for it to actually go, hold on, we are much better than this. Um, we can be much. I was attracted to the potential of the organization and I'm always attracted to potential, unfulfilled potential. Um, maybe that's just a reflection of myself because I believe I'm unfulfilled potential. Um, uh, so you know, just asking those questions. And I wasn't being provocative. I was still nervous. I was being careful. I was very, being very diplomatic, um, uh, despite being accused of bullying. Um, uh, and I was just so going, okay, there's, there's got to be better ways of doing this. We weren't getting the right information. It wasn't timely. We weren't talking to stakeholders. We weren't out there learning. We weren't, you know, developing strategies that would actually take us beyond the sort of the position we were financially and to, and also in terms of the work we were doing, the impact we were having. Um, and we weren't utilizing the brains that we had access to and the people we had access to. And there was no real structural thought into who do we actually need in this group? Who do we actually need to have? And sort of <clears throat> it got to the point whereby the existing chair, an amazing woman, but was completely out of her depth in terms of this respect and said, you know, I'd like you to take over when my term is up. Um, so it was a, it was a transition. Um, and I went, okay, I sought out the support of the rest of the boardroom and they were said, yes. Now in hindsight, that could have been because none of them wanted it. Um, and it was sort of like a default position, but I put my hand up knowing that I reckon I could do something here. And I'm certainly discovered that when I go into boardrooms, I'm the person who wants to come in, help fix something and move on and leave a legacy of a higher performing group. I'm not someone who wants to stick around for a long time. Yeah. I, I, there's, there's another part of what, uh, in, in the information you have, uh, out, and I think it's a book by another Australian, actually, that fish rots from the head. And, and in my experience, when I look at dysfunctional boards, I, I actually think some of the times or a lot of the times, the, the individuals that are there as sort of um, uh, directors and they really have no more aspiration to do much more than be part of the team. Mm. But they're, they're, the, the leadership within the boardroom is lacking. And, uh, I, I, and the fish rots from the head. I think when you when you used it, it was more that it's the board that's the head of the fish, but is there a, he, a brain within the head of the fish that's <laughs> yeah, rotting? And and well, and what and, and to 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 my passion and what drove because you wrote a book, um, and and but I wrote a book and 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 sort of that's another thing that made me connect you know intellectually with you. To what extent is the chair really? The ultimately that's where the leadership has to happen. And, and, and there's other, there's good people that tend to be on boards. They just don't get it, what their role is. And, and they're not getting the right um, mentoring and other um, kind of guidance. I think for now, the chair is critical. 
Um, and what I find encouraging is that there is a increasing discourse around who should be the chair. I think traditionally it's been the elder statesperson, you know, the, the, the one who's been around the longest or has the most industry expertise or the most gravitas, whatever it happens to be. And that can work if it's a very sort of public facing type of group. Um, and you need someone that carries that credibility, but the right chair is is a great facilitator. They're a galvanizer of a group. They know how to get the best out of the people around them and they drive the agenda forward and they're setting the cultural tone as well by having the best standards of behavior. There's a whole bunch of different things there. So the, it doesn't matter who they are, that's what you really need from a chair. If they happen to be that other person as well, well, that's great because not everybody can be a chair of a, of a group. Um, and I think that's sometimes the hardest thing for some directors to recognize is that um, they would be, they're a great non-executive director or the great director, but they couldn't, they wouldn't make a great chair because it is a step in a different, it was, it's a completely different role. Um, and I don't think there's enough acknowledgement of that. And because if you think about the world of boards and the world of knowledge and education, very few board directors ever really learn what their role is properly. And that's another thing that Future Directors is trying to change is to, is to broaden the education out. And it's the same with the chair. Very few people sort of know who should be chair because it tends to be, let's say, in a voluntary organization, it might be, oh, we need a new chair, hands up. Um, or, or, or someone wants to make a power play or they think it's a really prestigious position or there's a mis misguided approach to who should be there. Let's hire someone who's a chair. Let's hire someone who's been a chair, even if they weren't a great chair. So I think the chair is critical. However, that's why I say for now, and I'll finish my train of thought, if you get a really great group that operates in the sort of way that we believe they can, the chair less becomes less critical, still an important role because it's still a bit of a focal point for people, but it becomes less critical because the group themselves have a great culture and they're all the right mindset and they can work fantastically together and they've been put together very well. So it's sort of like the chair, the role of the chair becomes less critical in terms of guiding that group, if that makes sense. But I think yeah. we're, a long way from that as being in the norm. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with you because I've had clients in the last, since I wrote the book, especially that are approaching me and say, can you help us? Cause we're, you know, we're dysfunctional to, to use some of the, you know, things that we were just alluding to before. And so, you know, we need to make sure that we have renewal and, and then renewal seems to automatically cascade like a set of dominoes into having term limits. Hmm. And, and, and in, especially, you know, in organizations like not-for-profits or whatnot, that in turn results in a, in a situation where somebody's a vice chair, you go, yeah, whatever it was, I didn't, there's no real duties to that. So it looks good on whatever. <laughs> and, and then the next year they're the, you know, they're, they're the vice chair, uh, you know, second vice chair, or first vice chair, and then they're chair. And, and, and the terms are like two years, two years, two years. And, and then they might be great at sharing. They're just starting. I, my experience is it takes roughly two years to kind of get your, uh, your momentum and your understanding of the individuals and how they, 
react and, and play. And, and so I, I don't know. I, I mean, I can just ask you sort of a, what's your view on, on things like term limits, which is another one that sort of the, uh, the institutional world of director training seems to, to move towards. Yeah. I think term limits are a fix for a bigger problem, which is directors not knowing when to move aside. Um, and so term limits are there to artificially throw people out of the room <laughs> before they get to the point of being stale. Um, you know, the first thing we teach anybody thinking about the boardroom is that every boardroom, the only thing that's common to every single boardroom around the world is it's just a group of human beings so far. Um, we'll worry about technology later on. <laughs> and that's the thing, like any other group, family, colleagues, sports team it's 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 going to come with a whole bunch of egos and baggage and bias and knowledge and perspectives and so for me as i said term limits are you know they're a necessary thing that we need until we get to a space whereby people are coming into the boardroom and behaving in a way and operating in a way that doesn't require them to have term limits um, unfortunately, what we have at the moment is that the good, ten, it tends to be, and this is a generalization, it tends to be the good people leave before they should, and the bad people stick around for too long. Yeah. Um, because there's a, there's a distinct lack of self-awareness at one end and, a, and an overabundance of imposter syndrome probably at the other end, or I could be doing more greater work or doing more important stuff elsewhere, or, or I need to move on and... and do something else. Um, I, I've got a calling elsewhere. So I think the term limits are again, like, like you talked about, um, board refresh and turnover and then succession planning and vice, I'm a vice chair by the way, and I do have some duties, but you know, that's different. We won't get into that. I didn't, I wasn't offended when you said that. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, I, I told you so, it's unscripted in. Uncensored. It's all good. So if you want to swear, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all fine. Um, uh, I do have a couple of, sh of my podcast shows that are R rated, which is quite fascinating when it puts it on iTunes. There's a few swear words in there, not usually from me, but you know, when, when they go, I go too. So, um, we'll see who cracks first, Brian. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I think all of these things that all these things we've got around is actually fixing something that's broken, which is the people in the room aren't really there fully understanding their role and their responsibility and their accountability. And because they're bringing in that humanness, right? They're not robots. It comes with the territory. So for me, an effective board is not looking to change everything and bring in all these Composers and like, and all you're doing when you when you refresh is you bring in the same people. They just bring a bit more energy, and then suddenly, if the culture is wrong, it all just slips back to where it was. And you go, "Oh, how did that change?" Well, we need to change the people again. I think this is why I'm so fascinated by the the work that we do. Is we really look at the human side of the board, the dynamics of the board, the neuroscience, the behavioural side of the board. Um, the technical side is all very interesting, you know, the compliance and regulation and all that sort of jazz. But for me, if you really are getting again an effective group, you need to really understand that it's a group of human beings. And therefore, in order to make it effective, you need to treat that humanity. You need to work with that humanity. And that 
comes into understanding who people are and how they tick. And it's not one size fits all. So that's why we always work with different neuroscience and behavior economic and behavioral psychology groups in terms of a lot of the work we do um, is to is to bring in those tools and those techniques and that learning. Yeah, you know, that's what struck me about when I was looking into what Future Directors does in terms of the, uh, the I wouldn't even want to call it training. It, it seemed you were talking about pathways. And then I think the second piece of, of what you were, you, there was, there was motivation and there was, there was actually uh, self-leadership. Um, and, and it struck me that, that, that was compared to a lot of kind of things that are available, whether it's through, in, you know, organized institution, private, whatever, that there seemed to be a personalization to the journey that um, mm. I didn't see elsewhere. I, I don't know if you can, is, am I off base on that? No, it, not at all. So it, it, that's, that's relatively new for us, uh, but it's something that we're growing. You know, we've come from a space of having board readiness programs for that sort of people entering the boardroom. And then we have our uh, annual summit which I think you were, you were there at where we have discussions about where we all going uh, at a collective and an individual level as, a, as boards and directors. What we discovered was this, as I said, this gap in the middle about this support of people through the boardroom, but it's, a, it's really, we, we're trying to create this sort of almost choose your own adventure instead of having structured courses, one size fits all. We're bringing, it's more like mentorship on, in a way. Yeah, so. it's sort of on, on mass though. Like it's not individual mentorship. It's sort of, it's bringing people together to support each other, but to learn from experts that we bring to the table. That's the platform. I mentioned up front, we're a platform. So the platform for us is it's the same as say a podcast. You as the host bring people to that you believe will add value to your audience. Um, we're the same. We will bring experts from all around the world. And that's another differentiator for us compared to say all the national institutes out there is that we have a very global mindset. Um, we don't believe we one director in Australia is operating differently than another director in Canada. They may have different laws, but the human side of things and the co and and is very similar. Now the cultural differences are often often there, but what we find from these cross border conversations is that the similarities far outweigh the differences, and the differences are things we can learn from because. You know, we're getting more international. We're getting more global. doesn't mean we're getting more homogenous yet. And hopefully we don't go that way. I like us to embrace our differences rather than sort of limit them. So people getting involved with future directors, it's sort of, I you can pick and choose the elements that you want to learn, who you connect with, the journey you're going through. And obviously we're trying to provide as much of that as possible by bring, curating the people you need to hear from and how you're how you hear from them hence it's also a multimedia platform instead of doing in-person courses and that's all we do and then transition them to virtual during covid we've got videos and different length and we've got audio and we've got resources and we're building up this library and the accessibility point of it is we're sort of is the is the sort of the cost aspect of that you know your traditional space is you pay quite a bit of money to be a member and you get a magazine and you get access to a few things and then they charge you for webinars or for events and then they charge you for courses. We're just taking the sort of, I suppose, Netflix model for want of a better word of you get all of that amazing content at a subscription based fee. But we also do programs if you want to do a formalized program. Right. 
Yeah. So um, you just came, yeah. you, you just, uh, you know, recently finished the, the, your conference that you just alluded to and, and you're talking about the, uh, the differences, not, I don't mean differences, the, the different perspectives is probably a better mm. way to frame it of people in different countries. And, uh, I have to say it's difficult for somebody like me living 12 hours away from, from, <laughs> from, from mission control, uh, in Perth, but, uh, it, are there things that are emerging from just, you know, in your experience in dealing with a global governance conference where you're going, well, that's, that's interesting. I'm seeing that there's different, I just, without getting into much more, how, where, where are the, uh, the, the tectonic plate fissions, fracture points in the world where the, the first podcast I did with uh, episode was with Mary Cameron, who's chair of Habitat for Humanity International. Mm-hmm. And, and she has a board that are pretty well, you know, all over the world. What are you seeing are elements of, of positive and negative of the diversity of the governance community? Well, I think, um, Similar to Mary, I sit on a board, a representative body with people from all over the world. Um, And it's just as functional and dysfunctional as any other board I've ever come across. And what our our event, uh, Decision 84, has continued to show us, and by the way, that was the first one of those was going to be in person in Sydney, um, where I was living at the time. Um, And then COVID struck and we went virtual. Um, and instead of just going for a full day conference at straight virtual, because we work with the neuroscience people, they said, there's no way someone's going to be able to sit in front of a screen full day and learn everything you want to teach, help to help them learn and connect. They'll be fatigued and exhausted. So we split it up and we did it again this year and we did, uh, different time zones because what we got from last year, when we put it on first time is that half the audience was from overseas. Uh, and it was the same this year. Um, and that was wonderful. And we went, oh, actually, you know what? We always wanted to be international. We've just, COVID's fast-tracked that. So that that was the <laughs> first thing, that it was almost by accident, thanks to COVID, that it turned from an, a, a, a local domestic conf, traditional one-day conference, although it wasn't traditional in terms of what we're going to talk about. The content was not, was not going to be traditional, to a virtual and very non-traditional event. We'd like to think of it as a summit. It's a meeting of minds. Um, and we did an AM and a PM show to make it as accessible as possible for people, um, around the world. And obviously understanding that, you know, in North America, you were up a little bit late, um, depending on where you're at or you're up really early. Um, but it was a bit more accessible than last Not time, as so early as some of yours were at three in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I was up really early. Um, but that's part of part of running these things. Look, for me, the similarities, as I said, outweigh the, 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 the differences and the vast feedback and it's such validation is people going, oh, it's fascinating to be in a breakout room talking about these topics of personal performance or collective performance or the future of the boardroom with someone from India, with someone from Canada with someone from New Zealand and realizing that we have so much in common. Our challenges are just the same as your challenges. And most of it comes down to dealing with human beings. 
um yeah. and yeah. you know and the and the institutes that they represent you know if it's regulators or it's stakeholders or it's whatever it happens to be it's dealing with that human element and people just having breakthrough moments i've always known that the people we work with know, know that but the people coming along to these conferences don't have the same um exposure to that so we're trying to give them that exposure and it's going oh wow you know uh that's amazing that you're going through the same thing how can we work together so it's breaking down boundaries it's breaking down borders that, that that's part of the the fun is going yes yeah, we may have different cultures and we I'm, might have absolutely. different structures I, I'm I, I'm finding through the last year or so uh, through variety of for variety of reasons that the Socratic learning method of having people learn from each other as opposed to having some expert at the front of the room with a slide deck is is actually um, getting quite a lot of traction and um, so uh, I, I I can see why that. You know, when, when, when I'm in a, in a, call it a, a chairs forum or, or a breakout room with people that are from my immediate area, uh, I kind of, I'm probably more judgmental than if I was in the same breakout room with somebody who is from, in one person's from India and somebody else is from, you know, Singapore or whatever. Mm, it's, uh, mm. No, it's, it is, it is, it is fascinating. And I think what you can do with that information it's really up to the individual. And I think you just have to continue those conversations. You know, I think there's still a space, there's obviously a space for expertise of people teaching you something, but I think it has to be combined with that, that conversation element, that sort of peer to peer group, because that's where, that's where it grows. That's where it, you know, you can't just take the information and just go, okay, that was nice. I'm back to my job. You, you, you need to have that conversation, that interaction, during and after and an ongoing to, 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 well, take to me, that the, and the, turn it the, into something. The generic output or, or that, that I think comes out of it is, is that there's at least for myself, there's, there's a fair amount of self doubt that maybe I'm just not getting it or I'm not smart or whatnot. And then when you to your point, when you're saying people from India or wherever saying, yeah, I'm dealing with the same sort of thing is, is there's, there's something where you go, you know, I'm not alone in this. And, yeah. and, and, and that generates a level of courage to use another word that's in, in a lot of your lexicon to, to actually ask the question because you're going, oh, you know what, this probably isn't a, a stupid question. I'm, I'm not as, as uh, off base as, as what I thought I was uh, uh, previously. So, so well, we, uh, we use, I was, I was going to just, one thing we we use a lot of words like community instead of network which is a very traditional way of describing group we talk about community and to to really to the last the last thing i'll say on that like one of the phrases that we use mostly internally but we're starting to externalize it is a cannibalization of a famous phrase it takes a village to raise a child and we just swap child out and put director in it takes a village you can't do this alone you shouldn't have to but the construct that we have and the traditional nature of who 
is qualified to be a director makes it a very lonely game and hence the courage and the vulnerability and the needing the community around you you know mentors and an amazing thing that we teach people to have but it goes beyond that it's actually having a safe space to you know to share what's going on for you and share a journey with people because another one of our values it's a lifetime of learning you know you can no longer be a board director and give back your skills um for life because you don't know enough you will never know enough um, well, so you have anybody to keep that, learning anybody that uh orders the book uh from me directly i'm not trying to promote it in in this regard although it is a promotion <laughs> of course <laughs> but i actually sign it and then and the bookmark that i have that goes with it is is uh, a, a, a sentence from Mike, michelangelo i'm still learning Mm. Michelangelo, age 87. Yeah. And so at the beginning, Paul, you, you were talking about uh, the you know, different phases of your life, but and then future director and, and what, what do you see like out? Cause you're still, you're not stale yet. Um, <laughs> and I doubt you'll ever will be. Um, but 10, 20 years from now, where, where do you see that that kind of engagement with the director community heading is will it become more socratic and and learning from each other i hope so um i hope that i'm completely obsolete in 10 15 years time because the sort of work that we're trying to do is no longer needed boards are everything they could possibly be and maybe then we're talking about do we even need boards <laughs> yeah well i I, I think there's always going to be a need for boards because uh, I will go X-rayed on this shit happens. So <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Well, again, you know, they're in, they, I agree with you. Um, I was just purposely trying to be provocative, but I think that's the sort of conversation for me, for me, if, my mission is to sort of like, as I said, change the face of the boardroom, not just in terms of the faces in there, but its role and really getting it to a point where it really is that steward position, you know, that, that it's not just a, you know, group of people turning up, you know, doing the best they can. It really is a high performance team, at, at, which is a fundamental part of any institution. Um, the next stage for me, uh, you know, beyond that, I think it's, it's continuing to drive. I'll always want to be at the, the forefront or trying to be at the forefront. Um, not just personally, but the people I'm surrounded with who are trying to go, right. What's the next iteration? What's the next evolution? You know, that's always been my driving force, um, uh, is sort of thinking about what comes next, uh, running a business that's dangerous because I've always moved on before we've got to doing what we're supposed to be doing. And my team keep me in check, um, as much as they can, but I've often moved on before we've got to where we're supposed to be going. And, um, so yeah, I, I really do look forward to it, but the next five years of my 10 year, then my decade that's going on is really just cementing future directors and, and what we're trying to do into sort of the global director community. Paul, thank you for that kind of leadership because it, as much as we're about as far away from each other on the planet as you could geographically do if you deliberately did it, I, I actually appreciate your leadership and I appreciate you joining me today uh, and having this conversation. So thank you. Unplugged, unscripted, board leadership. This is Unboard.